the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I hope you had a lovely Christmas. So now, after the 12 days, all the feasting and the merriment and the present opening, we come to Epiphany. Things are a little bit quieter. The crowds are a little bit smaller, but there are still gifts to be given. As a season, Epiphany is the time when the church and the world learn to see Jesus, not just as the baby in the manger, small and helpless, but as the son of God, fully human and fully divine. Epiphany is a season of the miraculous, and it culminates in just a few weeks on that Sunday that is the Feast of the Transfiguration, the last Sunday before Lent, when Christ is revealed in all his glory before his disciples, before the 40 days of penitence and fasting begin, and he makes that long journey to the cross. So before that, we, like the wise men, go to meet the newborn baby Jesus and to worship him. Now, the three wise men, popularized, of course, in famous song as kings, get to Jesus and his family eventually. The timing in Matthew's gospel is vague. We don't know that they arrived a week later, two weeks later, three months later, relative to when Jesus was born. But evidently, Mary and Jesus and his family stayed in Bethlehem for quite a while. And the wise men have come because they've seen a star rise over the place where Jesus was born. And they've come to pay tribute to him, this newborn king whom even the heavens acknowledge. They make their long journey from somewhere out east, probably further even than Spokane, perhaps from Babylon or the Arabian Peninsula, and they're bringing gifts with them. They have enough time on their journey to stop in Jerusalem and check in with Herod, who believed that he was the only king of the Jews anybody really needed to worry about. The interesting thing about Herod, of course, is that Herod is a real live historical figure, and so we know that as he advanced in years, Herod's primary characteristic was paranoia and craftiness. So he tries to use this visit from the three wise men to further his own ambition, to find out where this newborn king of the Jews has been born, presumably not so that he can go and worship him, but so that he can kill him. Herod is a bad guy, but that's well established, so we don't need to dwell on that this morning. I wonder what kind of gift giver you are. Do you try to make it a surprise every time? Something completely out of the blue that the recipient might never expect? Are you more direct? Just tell me what you want. I will get you that. Do you do secretive research ahead of time? Or you just go with your gut instinct because you wait to the last possible second and you find yourself scanning the aisles in Target or Walmart trying to find the perfect thing that you can get right then, regardless of your lack of preparation. And how do you receive gifts? Are you effusive in your thanks, no matter what it is, no matter what kind of socks they might be? Or are you cool, regardless of how incredible the gift is? 
Are you the kind of person who brings a letter opener and calmly opens the presents one at a time, folding the paper to save it for later? Or are you one who just shreds it like a runaway wood chipper on overdrive? I suspect I know which one you are, Ethan Davis. <laughs> how we give and how we receive gifts say something about us. And of course, gifts are not just about the power of our pure resources. They require that we know another person very well. And as the receiver, they require some vulnerability so that you can be known too. Giving means that we have to intentionally separate something from ourselves to give it to someone else. You choose the gift with the recipient in mind. Maybe you have picked out a signature wrapping paper for the season, uh, as I do, uh, for the year, and wrap it very nicely. And as soon as you give the gift, it's no longer yours to give. At the same time, of course, there's another sense in which the gift is never actually separate from you as the giver, even after it's been given. It carries us with it because of the spirit of love in which the gift is offered and accepted. Both of these things are true. We have to detach ourselves from the gifts that we give, but also we are always connected with them in some way. So I want this morning for you to think about the best gift you have ever received, or maybe the best gift that you've ever given. Because of course, every gift is special in its own way, but think about the best, or maybe a top three. You need not rank them. I wanna tell you about a great gift that I received when I was a, a small child, very long time ago, as you can imagine. I wasn't that small a child, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> I had a small, I had a, well, I had a major obsession with ice hockey. Uh, now, those of you who know that I grew up in Florida, about a block away from the Atlantic Ocean, understand that this amounted to a worrying fixation. So I'll tell you about the depths of my depravity. I had a subscription to a magazine called Hockey Digest when I was about 11 years old, and I would devour every issue and then call up the local AM sports radio station to ask them what they thought about, about hockey, despite the fact that I positive that I knew more about what was going on in the world of ice hockey than anybody working on AM radio in Jacksonville, Florida in the 90s. <laughs> the first full-length autobiography I read uh, was by the Canadian hockey great Wayne Gretzky, and then I later won a call-in contest for two tickets to go see the uh, Jacksonville Lizard Kings, which was our local minor league hockey team. By, and and I, I didn't just win it because I was persistent. I won because they had a trivia contest and asked anybody in the wider area to be able to name the champions of the previous year's men's college hockey national championship. Of course, the Michigan Wolverines. I know you all knew that. The problem is the tickets went unused because I was 12 and I couldn't drive to the radio station to claim them and my parents wouldn't take me in their wisdom. They were mostly tolerant uh, of this bizarre fixation. And so one year they gave me the most fantastic gift, a set of awesome rollerblades. 
Now they weren't just regular old rollerblades. I had a set of those, but they were hockey skates. They were black Bauer brand roller hockey skates that made me feel like I really had a future on the ice if I just could dedicate myself. And so soon after I was zipping around our little beach community on those skates with my hockey stick and <laughs> I really, this is a real true story. My hockey stick and a tennis ball, trying to get the neighborhood kids to match my level of enthusiasm for the greatest game ever played on ice. Those skates were an awesome gift, even though that was just a, the beginning of the end of my hockey career. Uh, they were a great gift. So the three wise men who come to Bethlehem have gifts that are almost that good. <laughs> Gold and frankincense and myrrh are, of course, rare and expensive items. Who do you know who has any myrrh handy? So gold then as now was the symbol of ultimate value. The exotic spices would have also been not something that would be within the budget of an ordinary young Jewish family. Frankincense from Southern Arabia and Somalia was an expensive perfume, burned not just in worship, but also on important social occasions. And then myrrh was primarily a luxury cosmetic fragrance, sort of the Chanel number no. five of its day, uh, but also used in burial rites. So whatever status the wise men had, whether they're official emissaries from the kingdoms of the East, or whether they're just interested gentlemen with too much time and too much money on their hands, these are impressive offerings. And of course, they also echo the history of Israel. We're meant to be reminded here of that famous visit of the Queen of Sheba to the court of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 10. That visit provides the imagery that Isaiah mentions in our reading for this morning. As a foreign dignitary honors Israel's king and Jesus's ancestor with gold and spices. Of course, these gifts also have allegorical meanings. The second century French bishop Irenaeus popularized an interpretation that actually has probably worked its way into all of our consciences, that these gifts signify three aspects of Christ's life. Gold as a symbol of royalty to represent Jesus's kingship and his eternal reign. Frankincense, which is used in worship, of course, pointing to Christ's status as the son of God. And myrrh, representing Christ's humanity, particularly his passion and death. Another ancient preacher, Gregory the Great. You know you've really made it in church history if you just get to be the great. Gregory the Great says in his homilies on the gospel that the three items represent gifts that we are meant to present to Christ in our daily lives. Gold, the wisdom that we are meant to shine with. Frankincense, the prayer and adoration that we give. And myrrh as our acts of daily self-sacrifice. So all these gifts, like every kind of gift, are about more than just what the senses can perceive or about the price tag. And I think it's the gifts that we receive from God and their faithful return to him that should be on our minds most in this season. Christmas and Epiphany are not first and foremost seasons about celebrating our own giftedness or our accomplishments or possessions, but a time to remember that Jesus is the one who is given to humanity as a gift. 
And he is also the one before whom we all must stand at the end of the age to account for how we made use of or squandered our gifts. Yesterday, many of us spent our Saturday working to clean up and to renovate our new church home on Central Valley Road. And in the midst of that work, I was reminded that the painting and the patching of holes and the violent ripping up of carpet that we're doing is not really about us. It is about Christ. Because that building is not really, in the truest sense, ours. It is his. And we are preparing it to be used by God. As the church, we are the church, the people. And we belong to God because we were bought with a price, a great and costly price. And the work that we do now as the people of God in this place to make that building on Central Valley Road into a house for God's family is actually an offering of love that God is making to us because God has given us that place so that we can give God the praise that he rightly deserves. And the work that we do to clean it up, to make it look beautiful, is meaningful because in that place, truth and beauty will find a home. And wherever truth and beauty are at home, God is there too. The fact is that painting and replacing carpet and making sure all the locks work and the light switches turn on the right lights may seem inconsequential now. But when we offer our praise to God in that place, I think what we'll see is that our gifts of service to God are never offered in vain. So it is with our acts of love. All the gifts that we have are meant to be shared for the sake of others. They are not primarily just to satisfy ourselves. The life of a Christian disciple involves this kind of sacrifice, giving up what we have for the sake of others, setting aside our egos and our preferences so that the name of Christ can be glorified and the kingdom of God expanded. That's not just meant for exceptional believers, for saints and others who get that great added on to their name. It's meant for you and I each and every day. So what are we doing with the gifts that God has given us? What are we doing to bring honor to him and to his kingdom? What can we do to show that the king who was born on Christmas is the Lord, not just of the entire universe, God, not just of each and every one of us, but also of our individual lives, of our hearts and minds. We should be looking to bring the best that we have to Jesus every day, to kneel, to offer those things in recognition of who he is, the king and Lord whose first throne was a manger. And I'm thinking here not primarily of our money or even of our time, but our whole selves, all we have and all we are and all we hope to be. We should bring those things to Jesus because they are actually his already, not ours. We are merely stewards of what God has shared with us, never owners. We have nothing to hold back. And so we should return to God in recognition of the abundance of his love and mercy. This week, as I was thinking about Epiphany, 
I reread that classic old short story by O. Henry called The Gifts of the Magi. You probably remember reading it in school, and if you haven't, uh, you can find it online, but I want to I commend it to you. It's a story that I think really illustrates how two people who know and love one another show their love by the gifts that they give to each other. The husband and wife in this story are desperately poor. They have little in the way of material resources, but they love one another deeply. So on Christmas Eve, the husband sells his watch to buy his wife a beautiful set of combs for her long hair. But the wife, while he has been out making this purchase, has gone and cut her hair off and sold it to buy a chain for his watch, which he no longer has. Each of them gives up something that they love deeply in order to give a gift to the other whom they love even more. And this is how O. Henry ends that story. Here I have told you the story of two people who were not wise. Each one sold the most valuable thing they owned in order to buy a gift for the other. But let me speak a word to the wise of these days. Of all who give gifts, these two were the most wise. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are, are the most wise everywhere. They are the wise ones. So it should be for us as we offer ourselves to the king who is coming into the world. All people and all nations will be drawn to this little baby boy and they will bring their tributes to him as the true king of everything. And every one of us can offer something to him now. The one from whom all gifts are given and to whom they must eventually be returned is worthy of us giving everything that we have. Amen.